fantastic. Yeah. You know, I, I was talking to you briefly earlier that uh, the one person that, or one thing that doctors love to talk about is taxes because yeah. all of us are taxed too much. And so you actually have an interesting strategy that I haven't heard that often. Uh, and I'm always up for trying to save myself on some taxes. Well, you know, this is tailor-made for anybody who has a medical practice. Uh, now, you know, disclosure, I know a lot of, a lot of uh, medical professionals, they, they actually are W-2 employees. And there's nothing we can do really to help them on, on the W-2 side. But if they have their own practice, and I mean, it's amazing how, I mean, literally we can, we can uh, set this up to where they can reduce their taxes by as much as 90% or a little bit more, depends on how aggressive they want to be with the strategy. But it all comes to using this trust that we have. And it's rather unique trust. It's been around for a long time. I know that we we work with a law firm that's been, that has created 79,000 of these trusts. Okay, so for over 30, you know, almost 50 years. So um, it's out there. It's just, it's really only now starting to get, um, people are starting to notice it, that it's there. But it's been around for a long time. It's called a non-grantor, irrevocable, complex, discretionary, spendthrift trust. And all of the, every single word means something in this trust. But I won't go into all the detail about that. I'll just talk about the results. So what you can do is... This, this, is, this is what we call a, a, an IRS Code 643B compliant trust, which means that when any passive income comes into the trust, that is not considered a taxable event for this trust. As long as you keep the money inside the trust and the trust does not have any language in its governing instrument that requires distributions to be made to the, to the beneficiaries. As long as, it, as long as you have those stipulations and it's a, you know, it's, like it's not grantor, it's irrevocable, you know, and it's, it's a discretionary trust, complex discretionary trust, then it is compliant with IRS code 643B and those, it's not considered income for, for, uh, as far as the IRS is concerned. So that's a little, that, that may be going shoo, over people's head right now, but I can, I'll, I'll, I'll make it as simple as I can. Let's break that down in a second, but before we get oh, sure, too much further, uh, Don, tell me a little bit about yourself. How did you oh. get into this? Uh, and yeah, just your little background. Sorry about jumping the gun there. I just get so excited <laughs> sometimes. I just can't hide it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm a real estate yeah, I investor. I live in Orlando, Florida. <laughs> I have been a real estate investor for 20 years. Uh, I am, I'm all over the internet as Don, the short sale guy because I'm one of the leading short sale investors in the country. I've helped well over 3,000 homeowners in my period of time get out from under foreclosure and save their credit when they owe more than what their property is worth. So my entire career until about two years ago, I was getting killed on taxes, right? Because I mean, you know, the more, the, the, the more successful you are, obviously the, the bigger uh, pile of cash is gonna go out to the IRS unless you have a way to legally uh, reduce that. Luckily for me, I found out about this from another investor and it's, it's, it was a total word of mouth type situation. And I learned about this and I realized, I mean, it's really humbly when you think you, you know, and we all have egos and I like to think I was, you know, my poop didn't stink too bad when it came to uh, financing. I have an MBA in finance and I've done, I've had my own business for 30 years. I thought I knew a lot and I realized how ignorant I was 
and, and I was just throwing away money. I might as well just lit it on fire. And so I decided to make this change and, uh, you know, adopt this strategy. And it was the, 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 the first year after I adopted the strategy was the first time in my, in my real estate investing career where I didn't have to pay anything on tax, at tax time, which was amazing for me, you know? And so I said, you know what, I'm going to, you know, I still do my real estate. I'm still a, you know, a full-time investor, but I said, you know what, people need to hear this. And so I decided that I wanted to get the word out and say, look, you know what, I want to share the wealth because this is an amazing, amazing strategy to be able to you know, reduce your taxes by a significant amount. So you mentioned passive income. Mm -hmm. Could you define that for me? For the trust, it's any kind of income that is not actively earned by the trust. Okay. What does that mean? So if the trust has an account with Charles Schwab, for example, any money that's coming in to the trust, that's considered passive income. If I, if the trust owns an investment property and it gets rents every month, that's passive income for the trust. If the trust decides to become a, a partner or a member in an LLC and it gets paid a K1 distribution every year, that's passive income. If the, if, if a LLC, for example, wants to lease assets from the trust, the lease payment coming in from the LLC is passive income. Okay. So the trust is not selling anything. It's not providing a service. Therefore, the money coming into the trust is not active, ordinary income. It's passive income as far as the trust is concerned. So if I own a medical practice, it might be better to own it in the trust. No, so then no. Okay. Here's what you do. Okay. This is, this yeah. is where, this is where it, this, you want to make sure that you have legitimate reasons and expenses for moving money from the, from the medical practice into the trust. And the way we do that was two ways. Number one is the, the MD would sell his or her, all of his or her assets, personal and business into the trust. So, I mean, we're talking about exam tables, we're talking about chairs, we're talking about desks, computers, you know, and, 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 and even, even uh, intellectual property, you know, their CV, their, uh, their contacts, their, their know-how, all that stuff is literally sold into the trust. So that leaves the practice without any assets with which it, to, with, with, with which it can generate revenue. So what we do is the trust is going to sign a contract, a lease agreement with the practice to lease those assets back. So the IRS will allow up to 70% of, of, of a business's pre-tax and income from the previous year to be used as a lease payment. So you can imagine how much money the practice can move over to the trust as a lease payment and what you're doing is you're removing taxable income from from the from the practice into the trust, so you're moving that down tremendously to where you have less to be taxed. Okay, and then what you also do, and we recommend that um, you know, well, it doesn't matter. You can have an S corp or you can have an LLC. It doesn't matter with practices, but but ultimately, you can move as much as seventy to ninety percent of your taxable income into the trust. So a lease payment, like I said, is a is passive income for the trust. So once it gets inside the trust, it's not a taxable event for them. So 
in my real estate investing business, as an example, if I have a million dollars worth of net income, that's where I've already expensed everything out, deducted everything I could, I'm left with a million dollars. And all I and, and at that point in time, that's where I'm going to figure out how much I owe the IRS. And for me, it was 32% because it was ordinary income. Um, you know, that, that could be like $100,000, $300,000, depending on what, what the situation is, whether it's stuff I have going on. Well, with this strategy, by move, I can move dollars $900,000 over to the trust. And so then my final net income will be $70,000, $60,000, $100,000, right? Now, now you, you, can, you can imagine that I'm going to pay less taxes off of $70,000 or $100,000 than I would be a million. And that's the genius so of this. So, okay, let's, uh, let's start at the beginning. So sure. you're saying that you as a doctor, you're selling uh, your assets to, how does the trust, does the trust compensate you for those yes. assets? Yes. How there, does that work? Because it's a sale, there has to be consideration, <laughs> right? So, but the assets are being sold at the cost value basis, which means whatever they were acquired at originally, that's what the sales price is because you don't want to trigger a capital gains event when you're selling the assets into the trust. So the trust has to give something as consideration. So what it does is it gives you a note. It's basically like an IOU, okay? So uh, if, it's, if you have $700,000 in assets that are being sold in the trust, the trust is going to owe you $700,000. So the, so the, uh, the, the, the MD can pull withdraw from that from that demand note whenever he or she wants and that's not a taxable event either and so oh, wow yes. yeah okay <laughs> i was gonna ask you like what do you do if you need to get money but because you have that note yeah and it's a repayment of debt you don't owe taxes on that that's right. pretty amazing yeah and then remember um you know it depends on what people's agenda is I have some people that say, you know what, I need to have money coming in, a substantial amount of money coming in that I can show for financing. Mm -hmm. It's like, great, then just don't be as aggressive on your on your uh, on how much you move over to the trust and then pay yourself a salary. And you're gonna get W two, that's understand that. But if that's important for you, do it. You have all the flexibility in the world. I have other people like myself, is like I don't care about I, I have all my other I have you know, private financing uh, sources. I don't need to go to a finance, financial institution to get money. So for me, I'm being aggressive on how much is left in my in my bank account at the end of the year, so I pay hardly any taxes it, 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 or or any at all. Actually, it's depending on what the year is. So whatever you want, you can do this with this strategy. And but 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 the most important thing is is that the trust can pay for most of, of uh, the expenses of the beneficiaries inside the trust, okay? So for example, every, if, if you put your vehicles in, the, if you sell your vehicles into the trust, your primary residence, or if you have any other assets that are inside the trust, the trust is obligated to make to pay for everything. So if my, my home is in the trust and the water heater breaks, the trust pays for the repair. The trust, if, it, if there's financing on it, the trust makes the mortgage payment, makes the insurance payment, uh, you know, landscaping, trust pays for it. Anything having to do with that with that asset, the trust pays for. So you're you're paying for your personal property 
through non-taxable money that's coming to the trust. Okay? So literally, the only thing that the trust really can't pay for is what we call the three Fs, food, fashion, and fun. <laughs> and you can pay for that with a demand note. So you really don't need that much cash with this with this strategy. So for for people like me who don't necessarily have an office, uh -huh. they don't have an exam table, and right. I get paid to use my brain. Mm -hmm. uh, how would you recommend? Uh, I have an S corp. Right. Uh, how how would you recommend someone set up a trust if they don't have they don't have an assets other than their thinking power? Um, it's all up here. I mean, you literally monetize all of your intangible assets and you do a bill of sale for that. You establish a value, you do a bill of sale for that and the trust gives you a demand note based on the valuation of the, of the, the, the total value that was placed on that. Uh, you would be better off um, not running it through an S-Corp. Uh, if you can, it's better to use an LLC because you can make the LLC, you can make the trust up to a 90% member of the LLC, which means that by just that one simple thing, at the, ta at the end of the tax year, whatever you have left in your uh, bank account, your, your, your company's bank account at the end of the year that's taxable, you can move 90% of that over to the trust as a K-1 distribution. So you can see how it makes – you can't do that with an, with, a, with an S Corp, but you can with an LLC. And so, can you, because this becomes passive, mm -hmm. can you use uh, can you use depreciation no. to decrease the tax burden? No. No, you don't need to. I mean, think about it. Just by doing the lease back and the uh, the K one distribution, you're already moving 90 percent of your taxable income over. You don't need depreciation anymore. Yeah, and t talk to me about. Uh, how like, so what are the downsides i mean this sounds great you know there's there has to be something that you have to be making sure that you don't do or well you don't want to take or, distributions if you start getting distributions out that's taxable okay so the whole idea of this strategy is to not to, to create a taxable event and so you're not you know you don't want to give distributions to any of your to, to any of your um, beneficiaries okay that's one but uh, secondly you know like I said I mean some people choose to pay more taxes on the LLC or the S Corp side because they want to have a salary okay they don't have to but you can if you want but other than that I mean I, I don't know anything that's better on this because you're you're taking I mean you're basically what you're doing is you're firing the IRS as a silent partner in your business that, that, that provides nothing of value, right? And then you, from, from an asset protection point of view, you know, this is a spendthrift trust, which means that it is it protects you 100% from any lawsuits. Now, anybody can sue, but if it gets in front of a judge and the, and the judge is notified that this is, that this is a spendthrift provision or spendthrift trust, it'll get tossed. And uh, I've had that happen to me a couple of times already since I've had the trust where all I've had, because I mean, we had you know, real estate down in Florida. I mean, people are ready to sue each other at the top, at the drop of a hat. I mean, if, if especially with after COVID and, the, and, and this crazy market we had for two or three years, you know, people are desperate to get houses. And if something comes up, 
uh, like the first, in my case, the bank says, look, you know what, we're not going to take, you know, this person offered, let's say 300,000, but the bank said, no, we, you know, we want three, 350. And the people didn't understand that the bank controls everything. Well, we're going to sue, you know, and because they're stupid and they just want to, they just want to, you know, cause trouble or, or maybe they, somehow they think that's going to pressure the bank to lower their price. And all I had to do was just say, you know what, uh, I have no assets and I have no salary and you know, my, everything's protected and spent through a trust. So you're welcome to come after me, but it will go nowhere. And that was enough to say, okay, never heard from them again. So the asset protection is amazing with this as well. Yeah. And that's one thing to keep in mind. And I realized this my first year I had zero income and didn't pay much in taxes. I was like, great. And then I tried to buy a house. They're like, yeah. uh, can you really afford to buy a house? I was like, yeah, I'm a doctor. I make a good salary. They're like, right. uh, yeah, that's not what your profit and loss shows us. Right. Exactly. And, uh, it was, it was a little painful trying to get that first loan. Uh, yes. but so a lot of times, maybe just for a year or two, you'll show something, you know, anything yeah. if you're trying to get. So it's important to keep in mind, like, where you want it, where you yes. want to be, you know, because saving taxes 100% all the time is not necessarily the right answer. All yeah. the time. Most of the time it is, but not all the time. Right. My experience is different than other people. Like I said, I, and I, and I repeat myself here again. A lot of clients do want the salary for to be able to buy things on credit. And so all we tell people is like, that's great, but as soon as, you, as soon as you've bought it, sell it to the trust. And that way the trust will make the payments, the trust will pay the insurance and pay for all the expenses having to do with that. Uh, and so that's the smart way to do it. Don, could we go through the name uh, of the trust? And sure. I just want to kind of talk a little bit about, because you said everything is important. I'd yes. love to just kind of talk about okay. what each aspect of it is. All right, it's a non-grantor trust. And that means that you yourself cannot set the trust up if you're going to be the trustee. Okay. And the reason why you do that is because if you're the trustee and you set, set the trust up, the IRS is going to consider that to be a grantor trust. And that means that they will consider it to be an alter ego of yourself and you will get no tax uh, benefits from that. So what we do is we have, a third party, someone who will never ever be involved in the trust, to be the one that we call it the settlor, S-E-T-T-L-O-R. That person, we call it creator, settlor, grant, you know, grantor, whichever way you want to say it. But that person sets the trust up. The EIN number for the trust is set up under that person's social security number at the beginning. That person names you, appoints you as, a, as the first trustee, the trustee of the trust, and then resigns, okay? And so now the trust has been created by somebody other than yourself, and you were named trustee by the creator or the settler of the trust, and so now it's a non-grantor trust, all right? The second aspect of it is it's an irrevocable trust, and that means that you, once you, sell, you have to sell the assets irrevocably into the trust. You cannot use the trust as a holding pen where you can move stuff back and forth. And when I talk to uh, people who are interested in learning more about the trust, they tend to always use the verb transfer. And I always correct them because I want them to get change their mentality. You don't transfer anything into this trust. You sell your assets irrevocably into the trust. And so off on a little bit of a tangent here, this makes it a amazing prenuptial agreement or, or divorce protection, right? Because the trust owns the assets. 
So if there's a divorce, the, 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 the trust, you don't divorce the trust, the trust is there. So all they can do is get their part of the demand note. So if a husband and wife have joint property and it's sold into the trust, then they're going to each get a demand note, 50% of whatever the value of that, of that asset is. So in a divorce, all they're entitled to is their 50% of demand note and the, the property stays in the trust. Okay, so that's an important part about the, this is that it's an irrevocable trust property. In terms, in terms of estate planning, have you seen people put both husband and wife as a trustee? Uh, it's not recommended because I'll, I'll get to that in a second about the discretionary part of this. Okay. But I'll explain that then, if you don't mind. Okay. okay. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's a complex trust. That's the third pillar. And that's important because IRS Code 643 requires that for the tax, uh, for, for, um, for, the, for the fact that capital gains or passive income is not considered a taxable event, it means that the trust itself does cannot have language in it that that that, uh, that requires any distributions to be made to the beneficiaries. Okay, so the comp it's a complex trust, which means that um, it's not required to to um, uh, distribute to the, the beneficiaries. That's it's a, it's a key part as well. And then it's a discretionary trust, and that means that the trustee and or the compliance overseer of the trust has 100% discretion, you know, to make all decisions in regarding to the trust and the trust assets for the beneficiaries. So you, one person has to have ultimate control for this to happen. And I'm explaining to you why from an IRS point of view. So there are people who have two trustees, but one of them has to be the compliance overseer. So you might as well just have one person be a trustee and have the other spouse be a beneficiary because they're going to be able to enjoy all of the benefits of the trust as a beneficiary. Okay. Now the other really important part of this about, about this tax strategy is when the passive income comes into the trust, according to IRS code 643, that the, the trustee can declare all the passive income that has come into the trust throughout the year on the, on the trust 1041 tax return as an extraordinary dividend for the trust. And by doing so, it is not a taxable event for the trust, but only a discretionary trust with the trustee having 100% discretion to do these things is allowed to do that according to this tax code, okay? And then finally, it's a spendthrift trust, which has the asset protection that we talked about. The asset protection is so strong that you know, there's a reason why the estate of Nicole Brown Simpson and the Goldmans were never able to collect on that 30, it was like 70, $70 million combined uh, judgments of wrongful death against OJ Simpson. The reason why is because he had the foresight, well, you know, at least as far as financially, he had the foresight to, to um, sell his assets and do a spendthrift uh, trust. And so therefore they weren't able to get to it. That's how strong it is. And so that, that each of those pillars is absolutely obligatory to be able to have, you know, the, the, the asset protection and most importantly, to be able to legally reduce your taxes by such a great amount. Approximately how much does it cost and how much time does it take to set one of these up? You know, it takes about, 
I'd say probably seven to 10 days to actually get the trust and maybe take a, it depends a lot on the, on the, on the, on the person who invests in the trust as far as how long it takes to get everything set up. Some people want to get on it right away. Other people will procrastinate, but ultimately the client is the one that has to go through and disclose to us exactly what assets are going to be sold into the trust. You know, we will help them with the bank account open. You know, I have clients that got everything done in less than a month. I have some that it took them two months before they got everything back to us as far as what these, you know, uh, what the assets are, what the what they acquired, the price they acquired them at, you know, and then what the value is going to be. And we put that all together. We do a bill of sale and then we do the demand note for them. All that stuff. It can, it, that's how, a lot of that depends on the client, but it can be done in less than a month easily. As far as as far as uh, the investment amount, honestly, it really depends on how on how uh, sophisticated the, um, the the situation is. But the base trust is right around twenty one thousand five hundred is what it goes for. It's a one time investment. Uh, there's no other monthly fees, and our company will support them as long as they need. If it's three months, if it's ten months, it doesn't matter. We're there for them. So it sounds like there's not a ton of upkeep then, right? Nope. It gets created once and then yeah. uh, what about future assets? Uh, is same it difficult to yeah. sell them into it? No, same procedure. There's no difference. In fact, remember, one of, the, one of the perks about this is that every time you sell a new asset in, you get more in your demand note. Yeah, 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 yeah. So then I guess if, you, if that starts running low, you just buy some more assets. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, I asked, there's a, there's a CPA that's been doing this for about 30 years. I mean, he's in his 70s now. He's semi-retired. But I had a chance to talk with him uh, in the summer. And I said, has anyone in your experience ever ran out of their demand? And he said, no. No one ever has. And he says, because people worry about that. But when they actually get the trust and they realize just how almost everything can be a, a trust expense, they don't need cash as much as they think. And that's the beauty of it. And so he said not one person, and he's done thousands of he's had thousands of clients and, and returns that he's never never once had anyone blow through their blow through their uh, demand note. Well Don, there's one question that I ask everyone. Mm -hmm. uh, if there's one thing that you wish you would have put more resources on, uh, time or money when you first started entrepreneurship, what would that be? Uh, I would say Honestly, I'm going to go back to the tax thing because I spent so much on taxes by not having the proper structure. And if, if, you're, if you are looking at, uh, you know, being an entrepreneur and, and you, you plan on being successful, then plan with, with, with investment money and, and get this set up. The trust is the best way to do this because you will, I mean, you will get such return on your investment over the years with one payment. I mean, you're going to significantly pay less and less taxes every year. And as you get more sophisticated, you know, then you, you can, you can, uh, you, you can bring that down even more. And that in my experience, taxes are probably the biggest leak in every businessman or businesswoman's uh, profit bucket. You plug that up, then you're, you're going to get 30% or more of your money that's going to stay in your, in your account than it going off to somewhere that's giving you no return on investment. Yeah, you know, and the, the tax code is written by rich people, yes, and wealthy people. Yes, so it's uh, it, it's good to take advantage of it mm -hmm. in the legal way, right? the way that it's been being written, because right. uh, 
you know, it's been written that way for a reason. And right. uh, if that changes, you know, we'll change along with it. And there's so. a reason why this hasn't drifted down to our level because they didn't want to talk about it because it was their ace in the hole, right? Yep. That's yep. changing. Well, Don, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, thanks to you and uh, other amazing people. Uh, Don, thank you so much. If people want to reach out to you, they want to learn more about this amazing technique, where's the best place to send them? Um, I would go to uh, my website, which is very easy. It's called thespendthrifttrust.com. Awesome. Well, Don, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate it.